think this is a strategic couple of sermons, five sermons we're spending on, five weeks, on understanding how do we stand for God in a world, um, in a culture that seems opposed to God. And so um, that's what we've been looking at. So week one, we talked about standing out when God calls us to be different than the culture around us. Week two, we talked about standing up for what's right when someone you love is making bad decisions. And we said that was the maybe the hardest one to preach because people could misunderstand it. And today we're going to look at how we stand strong when we are getting pressured to compromise our walk with God. So we're going to look at how do we, how do we stand strong when we're getting pressured to compromise our walk with God. So today we're going to look at one of the most famous stories of Daniel. If I was to ask you, what would you say is the most famous story of Daniel, what would you say? What would you say? Daniel in the lion's den. You know, there's all kinds of great stories. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's always, but Daniel, if you, who was raised in Sunday school and actually had flannel graphs? Who does not know what a flannel graph is? Okay, a flannel graph is a little board that's flannel and you stick little cutout things on it to tell a story. Little cutouts of dogs and cats and people and lions and Daniel. And so most of you flannel graphs, you saw a flannel graph. You, somebody taught you a Sunday school lesson with a flannel graph and it had a lion and they were always cute looking lions, right? More like kittens and Daniel, Right? Right? It didn't look anything like that. These were rotten, horrible, ferocious lions, and Daniel was an old, ancient guy in his 80s um, who had been out, had lived a long, hard life. Um, but we're going to talk about that story today. It is found in chapter 6 of Daniel, so you can turn to chapter 6, and um, we're going to look at Daniel in the lion's den. Um, so as we think about that, as we think about the story... What the story we're going to look at today is really about is, is about Daniel who put everything on the line, on the line for his walk with God. He put his job on the line. We're going to see that. He put his life on the line because he would not um, compromise um, his convictions, right? So let me set the scene for us before we get to the text, the scene for us, and then we're going to jump into chapter 6. When we find Daniel in the situation we're going to look at today, he's probably 80 or maybe even 90 years old. He's been walking with God for a very long time. And now he's serving under King Darius, the, the third king that he's serving under, and he actually ends up serving under five kings total. And what we find is that King Darius has set up um, and he becomes king of the empire, it used to be Babylon, that he's now the, the new ruler uh, of the Medes and the Persians, that King Darius sets up this administrative structure over the entire empire. And what he does, and this is what chapter 6 is talking about, is saying how King Darius ruled the land, that he appointed 120 men, and he called them satraps. What kind of a name? Satraps. He called them the satraps, and they were to oversee everything that went on in the king's empire. And it says this specifically in the text. They were, to, they were to protect the king's interests in his kingdom. So they were overseers who were, who were watching out for what was going on across the whole empire of the king's, is the king benefiting from what's going on? And over those 120 those satraps, he set three commissioners. 
um, to oversee the satraps. One of those three commissioners was Daniel. So Daniel, think of this, Daniel is a political leader. Daniel is, is a highly respected, high-level, powerful man in King Darius's kingdom. He is like literally king, three guys, 120 guys, the entire empire. So Daniel is literally at the top of a career that any person could ever have. One more step. He's king. He's one guy under the king of the entire empire. So he had a lot. Doesn't ever tell us that, but we know because of his position, he had to be wealthy. He had position. He had power. He had a lot. But here's what happens when you have a lot. And some of you have walked long enough through life, and because we live in a culture where there's availability um, to, and if we work hard, we can accomplish, when you have a lot, what also do you have a lot? A lot to lose. When you have a lot, you have a lot to lose. You know what? When I first started off in ministry, we had nothing. We took ridiculous risks. Oh, go plant a church in Michigan. We're not going to give you any money. It's okay. It's me and my wife. We can sleep in the car. Honestly, that was our opinion. We'll go sleep in a car, plant a church. We had nothing to lose. When we left that place to go to 10 years later to go to another place, now we had a home and cars and two kids. And we're saying, give up this? Give up this incredible church and go start from scratch again? Moved in somebody's basement, had no money, had nothing, gave up insurance, gave up everything. When you have a lot, you have a lot to lose. And I want us to understand about Daniel. Daniel's a guy, and he's a high-powered political leader. So you can see he's a political leader, a business owner. He's a high-powered guy who has a lot, and he has a lot to lose. And what we find going on in Daniel 6 is that these other two commissioners of the three that are over the thing, and the 120 satraps are jealous of Daniel. See, because what's going on is, Daniel's walking with God, and he operates by the wisdom of God, and he's operated by the supernatural involvement of God in the other stories we've looked at, and the, by interpreting dreams, and, and the king really likes and respects Daniel so much that he's put him as, as number one of the number threes, but it says that they were actually thinking of making Daniel over the leader over the entire empire. And so they're jealous of him. So these jealous co-workers decide that they want to take Daniel down. So they examine his work in the kingdom, and here's what they find out about Daniel. They're trying to find, what can we bring accusation against Daniel? And guess what they find? Nothing. No cheating, no lying, no lining his pockets, no abusing people under his control, nothing. They can't find one thing wrong with Daniel. But they remember something about Daniel. Daniel's not one of them. Daniel is an exile. Daniel's one of those, those Jewish kids from 70-some years earlier, or maybe 60-some years earlier, rather, 60-some years earlier, who was brought into the, was a Babylon at the time, and exiled and made to serve the king. He's an exile from Judah. And what do they know about Daniel as an exile from Judah? A lot of the other ones they couldn't say this about. For Daniel, he faithfully worships and serves the God of Israel. He's fully committed. And it says that in the text, fully committed to serving the Lord. So what do they do? They set a trap. The satraps set a trap for Daniel. And they go to the king, 
and they manipulate the king. They tell the king basically this, how wonderful he is. Oh, king, you're the best-looking king there's ever been. You're the smartest, wisest, greatest king that's ever existed in the history of the world, oh, king. You, you know what, you're a god. And back then, the kings honestly were treated as god, and they believed that they were gods. And they said, you know what, oh, king, wonderful, wise god that you are, you should make a law that no one can worship any god but you for 30 full days, a whole month. And this thing good to the king, because guess what? When you think you're a god and people are telling you you're a god, you probably want to be treated like a god. So be careful if every people treat you like a god. And so he makes the law. Now there's a problem when he makes the law. The problem is, when he made a law as the king, in their situation, the law was unchangeable. It was irrevocable. It was called the law of the Medes and the Persians. And when they made a law of the Medes and the Persians, when the king made the law, that law could not be revoked even by the king who made it. That would make you think about the law before you made it. This idea of unintended consequences. But he makes the law, they had to think them through. It was so that they would think about the unintended consequences and not be rash. But once they made a law, it could not be changed. So here we find Daniel. He's faced with a difficult choice. Do I compromise my worship of God, my, re, my very core values of my religious walk with God, do I, the, the core of my life, do I compromise what I believe about God and how I serve my God in order to save my own skin? And let's see what Daniel does. Grab your Bible. Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to read a quite a lengthy section all the way from verse 10 to verse 23, but I want us to see the whole story. Anybody ever tell you that being a Christian is boring? or God is boring, they never read his Bible. Because this is the opposite of boring. Now when Daniel knew that the document, the document's called the Law of the Beat of the Persians, that, that document. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, which is where he had come from, in exile. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came to agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. 
Then the king went off to his place and spent the night fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths, the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And I also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in God. What an amazing story. Can you imagine that? You think you have problems when you think about reading your Bible at work. This was a big deal. A powerful man with a lot and a lot to lose. Well, there are some really valuable insights we can learn here from this story. Ones that I think can help each of us stand strong when we are put into situations that tempt us to or demand us to, like in Daniel's case, compromise our, commit, our convictions as followers of Jesus. So let's talk about a few of these things that we see from Daniel that will help you and help me. The first thing is this, and this is just something you need to get right now, write it down. It's just part of living for God. It's this. If you live for God, people will oppose you. If you live for God, people will oppose you. Remember week one of the series we looked at in Ephesians three weeks ago about putting on the armor of God in order to stand strong because we are in a spiritual battle. We need to, in this situation, remember that. That there is a very real enemy and his name is Satan and he wants to destroy anything and anyone who is aligned with God and he wants to destroy and divide anything good that God is doing. And often... I would say most often, his destruction that he does is accomplished through people. And usually the people whom he is influencing don't even know that they are being used by him, but they are. There are some people who are so far away from God and so in line with the devil, they're literally filled with him. And they're in alignment, but most people that are used by the devil don't even know that they're being deceived and used in the schemes that he has to bring division and destruction to the people and the things of God. So if you make the decision that you are going to live for God, then Satan will use people to oppose you. Satan moved on these satraps and these commissioners to plot against Daniel. And the question is, why? Why did the enemy do such a thing? For this reason. Because Daniel was a danger. Daniel was a danger. He worshipped and served God, and that was a threat to Satan's plan of destruction against the things of God. Understand something. If you make the choice to really go all in with Jesus, then you are a threat to the devil. And he will inspire people to oppose you. He will. 
he will inspire people to oppose you. The Apostle Paul said this to his young disciple, Timothy, a young pastor. He writes First and Second Timothy to him. And in Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul is talking about all these ways that he has had problems in his life. The ways he's been persecuted because he's followed the Lord. And then he says this to Timothy, and you need to, to know this. You want to underline it in your Bible, Second Timothy 3.12. Paul says this to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He does not say, hey, if you decide to live godly in Christ Jesus, something bad may happen. He says, no, you will face persecution. Friends, it just comes with the territory. In fact, I'd say this, and I don't mean any disrespect as I say this. I would say this as a type of self-reflection, that if you don't suffer some type of opposition from the enemy in your life, then you're probably not doing much that makes him very nervous. And I honestly mean that. If you're not feeling the attack of the devil, and I'm not saying this every single day, but if you're not ever a target of the devil, I would say that means that we're not making him very nervous. But if you are loving Jesus and sharing your faith and trying to make a difference in this world, then you will make the enemy nervous and he will fight against you. And the main way he fights against you is he turns people against you. I heard a pastor once say this. He said, if you are not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then you are not ready to be used by God. Let me repeat that. If you are not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then you are not ready to be used by God. And I would say this, I agree with that statement completely. If you do anything for God, you will be opposed. And I don't want you to be surprised when it happens. Sometimes we need to be reminded that, you know what, what you're going through is just a reality, the fact that you're in a battle and the devil doesn't like who you are and what you're part of because you're aligned with Jesus. So just write it down. You will be opposed if you walk with God um, in, in any kind of engaged manner. Now, should that make us shrink back and be afraid? I say this, you know what, you're going to face opposition. Should we all go in our houses call in our closets, lock the door, and be afraid to go outside because, oh no, I'm going to face the attacks of the devil. What's the answer? No. In fact, the reason God includes this story in Scripture is for just the opposite reason. Right? He wants us to be encouraged and empowered to stand strong in Him no matter what comes our way. That's what Daniel did. He stood strong. He didn't compromise. He could have, he could have heard the law. Think what Daniel could have done. How different the story could have been. Could have read it this way. And the guys went to the king and they inspired him to make a bad law. And Daniel, here's the law. And Daniel says this. Well, guess what? I think I'm just going to take a 30 day hiatus from praying. I'm just not going to pray anymore for 30 days. That's no big deal. I just, I just won't pray for 30 days. Or maybe he would do this. This is maybe more what, what I would tend to do. Well, I'm going to keep on praying for 30 days, but you know what? Um, I'm just not going to do it publicly anymore. Just between me and God. So I'm not going to go to my, my, my place that I've always been, that everybody knows about, with my windows open. I'm not going to kneel down. I'm just going to pray in private and not let anybody know what's, what's going on. But Daniel didn't do those things. 
because he knew that's what they wanted him to do. If he caved, they could say, see, his God isn't all that important to Daniel. That's not, he says this is the most important thing in the world to him, but it's really not. He could, God could, he, he could have said, you know what? His God, his serving God is no different than me serving my God. It's no real, more real to him than me with, with my carved God that I serve because when push comes to shove, he backed away and says, yeah, I'm not going to stand up to this. But Daniel didn't cave in. Daniel didn't cave in. And my question is, how? How did he have the strength to stand strong when facing losing everything? Remember, he had much, and he had much to lose. How did he stand strong and do what he did knowing that it would cost him everything and it was probably going to cost him his life? Friends, this is the key. This is the key to standing strong in difficulty, and you need to pay attention here. The strength to stand strong comes from a life of established connection with God. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 gives us the key. Here is the key word that understands, shows us how Daniel did it and how we can do it too. How can we stand strong when we're, when we're facing great opposition? It's this word. Continual. Continued rather. Continued. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he, what's it say? continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. Continued. Daniel didn't get in a tight spot and then go run looking for God. No. He had a life built on an established connection with God And he just continued doing what he had always done in his life. See, your friends, your ability to face opposition tomorrow depends on what you do today. The ability to face what you're going to go through tomorrow depends on what you do today on how connected with the Lord you are right now determines if you're going to face that attack that comes tomorrow or next week. If today you build your life on a relationship with God where he really is your focus in your life, where knowing him and worshiping him and serving him and growing him in him are your most important priorities, then when the opposition comes, you just continue to do what you have been doing all along and you find that you have the strength and the courage to stand strong even amongst the most um, unimaginable attacks and issues in your life. So friends, we need to do a little examination, a little self-examination of our lives. Think about something. The last time you faced some kind of opposition, the last time opposition came in your life, some tragedy stuck, struck, some difficulty occurred, did you find yourself running back to God? Did you find yourself scrambling to, to run back to God, meaning you realized that you had drifted. Friends, that can help you see if you're really living in a connected manner. 
Daniel didn't have to run back to God. He already lived in a connected relationship with God. He just continued doing what he'd always done. See, friends, God is the strength that carries you through difficulty. The pastor's not the strength that carries you through difficulty. The church isn't the strength that carries you through difficulty. God is the strength that carries you through difficulty. So what I do today with him affects if I will, if I will have the strength and the courage to walk through what tomorrow throws at me. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong when you drifted to run back to God. It's the smartest thing you can do. But wouldn't it be better if we just didn't drift in the first place? You see, Daniel had a soul care plan. He stopped three times a day. He kneeled down and he prayed and he gave thanks to God. And and my question to you and me would be what? This, what's your plan? How are you structuring your life so that you are connected to God? Friends, this is super important. As a matter of fact, I say there's maybe nothing else more important. Not only is it a key to real joy, where is this? Line three, in your what? Presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Friends, it's, it's important to find real joy in life is, is to be in his presence to find it. But it is also the source of the strength that you need to stand strong. That makes sense? I established the life today. I make the, when there's not a problem, I build my life on it today. So that tomorrow when something happens that I don't know, here, does anybody know what's going to happen tomorrow? None of us. I see Steve is here. Steve has been in China all week. And Steve had to fly in a plane last night, all night, all the way across the world, 13 time zones, and he got back at 7 o'clock this morning, right? We talked about that, Diane and I. Steve would be be back at 7 o'clock in the morning. Guess what? We hoped Steve was going to be back at 7 o'clock in the morning. I only say this because Steve is back at 7 o'clock in the morning. But we didn't know Steve would be back at 7 o'clock in the morning, did we? We hoped it. But you don't know what tomorrow holds. You have no idea. I'm not trying to spook you, but his plane could have crashed in the ocean. I'm glad it didn't. And so is Diane. But here's the deal. And so are the rest of us. But here's the deal. We think we know. We make plans. You have no clue what tomorrow holds, and neither do I. And so we better build our lives today in such a way upon the most important things, the presence of God and the reality of God and have a soul care plan for how I live today so that when something hits tomorrow that I don't know is in my future, I have the strength to stand. What do I do? I continue. I just continue in the, in the walking in the reality and the presence of the Lord. Now there's one more thing that I want to point out from this story. That'll be the last point. And this is super important. You need to remember always, especially when you're going through a time that's challenging, that God is always at work around you, and he, he may be using your trial as a way of helping other people to see his reality. Oftentimes when problems happen and people come against us, we're just confused and we want to fight back and we're scared and we're mad and everything else happens. And we say, why me, God? What's going on, God? And that's normal. You see, Daniel 
never knew in the midst of his struggle that God was going to rescue him. When they threw him in that lion's... So, it's, it's, I don't know exactly what but it talks about it's a lion's den. And they talk about they put a rock over it. So, a lot of artist renditions of it is it's like a big pit. And there's a hole on top. I don't know what it was really like, but if they put a rock on top of it... So, here's Daniel. Let's say it's 10 feet deep. Daniel, in those seconds, how long does it take to fall 10 feet? Not very long, right? In that amount of time, he's going, oh, Lord, what's going to happen? I'm scared to death, God. What in the world's going to happen? He never knew in the midst of the struggle that God was going to rescue him and reveal his power and his wonder through the situation. But that's exactly what happened. Look at verses 25 to 27. Then Darius the king. Now, we're skipping 24, because you know what 24 is? The people who set the trap against them, the king threw them, their wives, their children, everybody into the lions, and they were all eaten by the time they hit the ground. So you don't want to be the one who stood against Daniel and God's plan. But then verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people, nations and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and he rescues and he performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion's den? See, God had a bigger plan the whole time. God used what the enemy meant for evil to help an entire kingdom come to know about the reality of Daniel's God, the Hebrew God, the God of the slave that had been captured and exiled. He led the whole nation that never would have known about him came to know about the one true God. See, we usually have a very small view of what's going on. We look through like a little knot hole in what's going on to see me and my problems and those around me. But God has a big plan. God is revealing himself to those who are blind to his reality. And sometimes he will use you and me in his plan. Friends, listen how he'll use you. He'll use you by leading you through difficulty. Like Daniel. He will lead you by leading you, use you by leading you into difficulty and do one of two things. He will deliver you miraculously. So you're like the children of Egypt being followed by the armies of of Egypt and Pharaoh and you come to the Red Sea and they're going to kill you and all of a sudden God parts the Red Sea and they go through on dry land. God miraculously delivers you and there are people go, God is great. But he doesn't always part the Red Sea. You know another way that he'll use you in this situation? He will strengthen you to walk through with faith and grace. That's what Daniel did. And both ways reveal his reality and his goodness. And friends, isn't that the highest honor that any of us could ever have in this life? Being part of God's plan to restore broken people, to help them find real life in Jesus. Friends, there's nothing greater that could go on in our lives. So you know what? Sometimes when the wheels fall off and the enemy's throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at you, Stand on your established plan. Continue to do. If you have an established plan, if not, you better start one today. Keep doing what you're doing in your soul care plan to live strong for Jesus. Because he's either going to part the Red Sea or he's going to shut the mouths of the lions.
And either way, God is glorified. In both ways, God is glorified and people's lives are transformed as they come in the presence of the living God. And that's what we want, isn't it? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you don't sugarcoat what you communicate to us through your word. You don't, you don't just tell life's little fairy tale stories of a whole bunch of really good things and everything happens good. No, you show us stories of real people who have real struggle and they're really scared and they put everything on the line and sometimes they lose it all and sometimes you miraculously deliver them. But what we see, God, in all of it is that you have a plan. What we see in all of it, God, is that you have a plan to help people come to know you. And Lord, as we're sitting in this room today, I would imagine the possibility exists. You know the truth. I don't. The possibility exists that there could be people in this room who really don't know you as their Savior. That you're saying there's this, you know, you show Daniel who walked with you and then trouble came and he stood strong, but there's very possibly people who aren't walking with you. And when trouble comes, they collapse. And Lord, that's not your good plan for any person. That the first thing you say about every human being in the world is that they are very good. That that we are very good. And whether we know you or not, you look at us and you say we're very good. We're image bearers of God and you have so much more for us, so much more available to us than we can ever even imagine. But it comes from being united with you. It comes from having the chains of sin broken in our lives. It comes from being set free to live with you. It comes from learning what it is to be in your presence. And so churches, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Just have a private moment. If you're here in this place today and you say this about yourself, I really don't have a relationship with Jesus. I really don't. I'm not saying you don't go to church. I'm not saying you can't quote Bible verses. I'm saying you have never really settled this issue where he is God and you are not. And you come to him and you say, I need you. I need to be forgiven. I need to walk with you. And and maybe you've never heard this before. You've been afraid to do that because you thought he's mad at you. He's not. Rather, he looks at you as his beloved, his precious gem that he says is very good. But he has so much more for you. He wants to give you spiritual life. And you've never found that yet. If that's you today, I want you to do something in one moment that's going to be really bold. And I promise you, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. Because it's not really, this is between you and God. And I'm going to say between you, me, and God. Because I need to know how to respond. If you say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready today 
to say yes to Jesus. I want to turn, I want to turn away from my, my old way and I want to start a brand new life in Christ. If that's you today, I want you to do something. No one's looking around. I want you to raise up your hand. And when I see your hand, I see, oh, that's kind of bold. No, no, just, no one's looking. Just raise up your hand. And when I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it down. I'm just going to give you a, a second here. Okay, I'm going to start over on my left. Look through the section over here by the road. Then the middle and over to my right. Well, Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray this prayer for this church family. I pray there would never be a day in the future of this church where there's not somebody in here who doesn't yet know you. And maybe there are today, and Lord, we're all in different places, but I pray there would never be a day in the future of this church where there would not be people who are on a journey of discovering that you love them and there's an answer for them. Father, that's your plan. I know it. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would use us as a congregation. Easter season is coming. You'd use us as a congregation, as a family, to take seriously the fact that there's a battle going on around us. And those people that are our, our friends and our family and our neighbors or maybe people we don't even like, they're not just different. A lot of them are lost without you. And that you give us the grace and you inject us into situations so that we can be a light that leads people to you. And so, Father, we thank you today that you love us. And Lord, I would pray this in closing for this church. That each and every person in this room, we're all saying, yeah, we're right with God. Every one of us would have a plan, a soul care plan, like Daniel had. Maybe it's not going to a room three times a day and kneeling down and praying, but we would take seriously this idea of walking with you. So that, Lord, not to impress them, not for religious activity, not to somehow make you happy because it doesn't do any of that. It strengthens us and prepares us for the time of battle. And I would ask God that when we walk through difficulty, every one of us in this place would just stand and continue to do what we've already been doing, walking with you. Thank you, Jesus.